Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 145, where we're going to be learning a little bit more about God and who He is. One of the great problems in the church today is a low view of God. Because the word isn't being preached in most churches, and because even in the churches that are doing some preaching of the word, they ignore the Old Testament, the church is starving to really know what God is like, since most of the information about God is found in the Hebrew Scriptures, not the New Testament. And this low view of God has really corrupted the church in a lot of different ways. It is uh, created a church, by and large, that is man-centered rather than God-centered. And in this man-centeredness is reflected in the very rampant, uh, seeker-sensitive church growth movement of today. Everything in that movement evolves around people, what people want, what people feel, what people think, rather than what God wants and feels and thinks. Recently, someone gave me some sermon tapes from a church that had a man-centered focus. The pastor, who was commanded in the Word of God to be preaching the Word of God, read a scripture, gave no context, and then began to preach his own word. He told story after story and then started talking about a missions trip that he and some other people in the church had went on. And they were constantly told by the pastor they should be proud of themselves, even though the Bible says that those who are proud are an abomination to the Lord. He talked of himself and what he did, talked of what others did. He had some who came up on stage and talked about, oh, you know, the, the great things that they accomplished. and They just boasted and boasted, even though the Bible says all such boasting is evil. They even used coarse language up in front of everybody and the pastor and the congregation laughed. Even though the Bible says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Then the pastor went into an extended manipulation session where he got all emotional and cried and and pleaded with a cracked voice because he had committed the church to a financial obligation which the church could not meet. In presumption and impulsion, he committed the church to thousands of dollars that they did not have. And so now he was doing everything he could to manipulate them so they could meet the need. He committed to, even though the Bible says, do not give under compulsion. Yet he kept on stroking his church, his congregation, trying to remind them how good they were, how much they had accomplished, how much they were better than other churches. Even though the Bible says everything we have is given to us by God. And that when we have done everything that we have been commanded to do, Jesus said, we should say to ourselves, we are unworthy servants and we have only done that which we ought to have done. God was rarely even mentioned during the whole service except when people were saying that God gave them special revelations. And I thought to myself, you know... All of us here need to know about things like this. So often you come to a place, if you've never gone anywhere else, sometimes you think this is standard. 
This represents most churches in the world today. They have a very low view of God. They're up on stage joking and laughing and lauding themselves. God is not the focus. God is not being honored. He is not being feared as the great king that he is. Steve Lawson in his book, Made in Our Image, has said, quote, Sad to say, we are suffering from a low view of God, an impoverished version of him as a God with man-like characteristics, a user-friendly God. God has become the trend of the day. A God made in our image, an inversion of the truth of man made in his image. Human qualities and finite limitations have been assigned to one who exceeds our comprehension. Rather than seeing him as he is, above and beyond us, infinite in all of his divine perfection, he is portrayed as a glorified us, end quote. Al Mohler, president of Southern Baptist Seminary, said, quote, The God of American popular culture is an indulgent heavenly spirit who is a little threat to our lifestyle and luxuries. A God consistent with a consumer culture and rampant immorality. This God might wish that human beings would behave, but he is powerless when they do not. A vast majority of Americans claim to believe in God, but most believe in an idol of their own imaginations. This deity is always there to be called upon in times of trouble, but he would never intrude upon our personal space, judge our sins, or hinder us in our pursuit of happiness, end quote. The church today needs to regain a proper view of God. Some churches, for the first time, need to get a proper view of God. Because in reality, to have an incorrect view of God and then to worship that God, having an incorrect view of Him is to commit idolatry. It's to not worship the true God. And this is why we are taking some time in Psalm 145 to look at the attributes of God, to find out who He is and what He is like. It's necessary, it's absolutely necessary for each one of us to know God accurately. We want to have a correct understanding of God, a high view of God, and live our lives in light of how God really is, not who we think He is or who we wish He was, but who He really is. Now, we first learned as we started looking at Psalm 145 that God is sovereign. We learned that sovereignty is a position held by God of absolute dominion, of majesty. Sovereignty is this position he has where he rules all things. Absolutely. And because he is all sovereign, he has an all sovereign will. And that all, all sovereign will is called his decree. And his decree encompasses everything whatsoever that comes to pass. And because he is sovereign and because he has a will and because he is all-powerful, he has the ability to execute his will. He does that through the doctrine of what we learned, concurrence and providence. He steers all of creation to his intended purposes. And we have also learned... That God's attributes can divided, be divided up into two kinds. There are communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. 
That simply means that God communicates or gives to humans some of his attributes. Not in the same degree. Men could be just, but they will never be perfectly just like God. Men can love, but they will never perfectly love like God. And so God gives us some of his attributes, and we are made in his image. There are other attributes, incommunicable attributes, which he does not give us. And those are attributes like his omnipresence. You will never have omnipresence. You will never be everywhere at once. Only God has that attribute. That's why it is called incommunicable. Well, there is another dual division that is often used to divide the attributes. Sometimes attributes are divided up into moral and natural attributes. Moral attributes are attributes like holiness, mercy, faithfulness, and justice. They are moral because they deal with right or wrong. They are attributes of God which, which intersect with what is right and what is wrong. Because God is holy, we are to be holy. Because God is faithful, we are to be faithful, which is the act of doing right. Mercy, for instance, would not exist apart from sin. Because we are sinners, he extends mercy. God is just and he would not need to be just unless there were people who needed justice, people who would rebel against him. And so those attributes intersect with right and wrong. But natural attributes are just things that are true about God that aren't necessarily issues of right and wrong, they're just things that God is. And this morning, we're going to be looking at one of those attributes. We're going to be looking at the greatness of God. Webster defines greatness as notably large in size, large in number, or measurably, remarkably, in magnitude, degree, effectiveness, chief and preeminent over other things, markedly superior in character or quality. Now, when we use great, we use great all the time. Oh, this is great. This pizza is great. Oh, this is a great meal. Oh, I love the weather. It's great. And great is an interesting term. And as I was studying this week, I just, I just read and read and read. And I, didn't, I, I think I started learning less and less the more I studied. By Friday at the end of the day, I had pretty much everything done. And I came in on Saturday and I just erased it all and redid it. I just realized this isn't working. This isn't working. This is just going to confuse everybody. When you begin to focus on the greatness of God, it impacts every little bit about God. It, it, it relates directly to other attributes like the infinitude of God or the immensity of God or, or the eternality of God or the omnipresence of God. All those things are just are, are attributes that just, just the mention of them describe greatness. But yet, when you look further into it, you find that every attribute of God is great because God is great and He is infinite in all of His attributes. Then you look in the Scriptures and you find out that God's works are great. great. And then you read some theologians who say, well, you know, God doesn't really have an attribute of greatness. Greatness is just an adjective to describe what God does or other attributes. And so... I began to look through this and finally I thought, okay, I'm putting away my theologies and I'm just going to look up every single verse that has great or greatnesses. And I think 850 came up. So then I just went through with my computer and I looked out on everyone that talked about God. I wrote down what it said. 
And then I took all those verses and I looked at them and I started looking at them and thinking, okay, now what categories do I see here? What am I learning here? And lo and behold, I learned exactly what Psalm 145 says. (laughs) And I thought I should have just stuck to the text. So this morning from Psalm 145 and the rest of the scriptures... You should learn three aspects of God's greatness. And here they are. Your God is great. Your God's works are great. And your God's attributes are great. Let's look at these from Psalm 145 and the rest of the scriptures. Look at Psalm 145.3. The text says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. First, we are told in verse 3 that great is the Lord. The Hebrew word, gadol, means great, mighty, large. It describes what is bigger, better, larger, or higher in quality. It's pretty much the same as our word, great. And when you think of God being great, just how great is He? Well, He is infinitely great. You know, how mighty is He? He is almighty. How large is He? He is infinitely immense. And so, however you define the word great, God is that to an infinite degree. So you must conclude that God is great. In fact, the text says, great is the Lord. Now, when you get into the attributes of God, an attribute is something that something must possess in order, for, in order to be what it is. For instance, when Adam was created, he was created holy, right? But was holiness an attribute of Adam? No, it wasn't an essential attribute because he sinned and became unholy. But what about God? Is holiness an essential attribute of God? Yes, because God could never cease to be holy. And if he ever ceased to be holy, he would cease being God because God is holy. And so when you look at this, you have to ask yourself, well, is greatness... An attribute of God. And I think surely it is, not only because the text says so, but think about it. What is greater than God? Who does deeds as great as God? Who is as great as God? Nothing. And so I think if God was not great, or if great wasn't an attribute of him, then he would cease being God. And that is why I think the text tells us right out there at the beginning of verse 3, great is the Lord. Secondly, we are told in verse 3, look there again, that he is highly to be praised. The word highly can also be translated greatly. I think if you have the New King James Version, it might say that. The word is mio, that means greatly, exceedingly, mighty, abundantly. It is a word that means about the exact same thing as the other Hebrew word we just looked at. Translated great. It's a synonym. Then, if you go down, verse 3 also tells us how you must live because of who God is. Notice, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and what? Highly to be praised. Or greatly to be praised. Because God has personal greatness, it demands that we praise Him According to his greatness. The Hebrew word praise here is the word we get hallel, uh, hallelujah from. It's the word hallel. To praise God. It means to praise, to boast in, to extol the greatness of, or to commend. 
The theological word book of the Old Testament says this word connotes being sincerely and deeply thankful for or satisfied in lauding, praising, and verbally magnifying something that is great. And in this case, it's God. And since God is infinitely great, he deserves infinite praise from his creatures. Now, if God were lesser, then he would deserve lesser praise. But since he is great and infinitely great, he deserves all the praise that we can muster up and give him Now, do you do that? Is your life characterized by praising God? Think to last week. Just last week, if you can think that far back. Um, You know, sometimes you can't. Uh, Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I go through scary times. I'm so preoccupied that I, I get to the office and I don't even know how I got there. I don't remember getting up. I don't remember getting dressed. I don't remember driving to work. I'm just sitting there studying. And I'm wondering, did I ever even go home? <laughs> and you wonder, you're just, I'm just thinking. But think back last week and ask yourself this. Do I highly praise God because of his greatness? Do, does my praise towards God reflect the magnitude of who he is? That's what this text is telling us. You know, are you a person who, like the sun, comes up and all day praises God until you go to bed in the evening? Are you like the delivery of the Sunday paper in your praise? You praise Him on Sunday morning. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of the greatness of God in Psalm 145, said this, quote, When we meditate most... And search most studiously, we will find ourselves surrounded with knowable wonders that will baffle all attempts to sing them worthily. The best adoration of the unsearchable is to admit that he is unsearchable and to close our eyes in reverence before the excessive light of his glory. Not even all the minds of all the countries will suffice to search out the unsearchable riches of God. He is past finding out. His deserved praise is above and beyond all that we can offer, end quote. So I ask you, do you praise God and do you praise Him greatly? Do you praise Him every day? Do you praise Him before every meal? Do you praise Him for everything you have? Do you give thanks in everything? Let's say you were driving your car and you're driving up, you know, Highway 1 along the ocean where it's just, you know, kind of a cliff and you can see the ocean and the rocks down below and all of a sudden you hear a tire blew out, you crash through the railing, you're hanging on the precipice of the cliff. You're injured and your car is there tottering on the edge ready to just slide off and crash below with you in it. And some good motorist stops, runs across the highway, crawls on top of your car, unbuckles your seatbelt, and pulls you out of that car, would you be thankful? You would be very thankful. Well, I want you to know, the wrath of God Almighty was upon you, and you were hanging on the precipice of eternal damnation. And God, through the person of Jesus Christ, not only risked his life, but gave his life to save you from your sin. 
And will you not praise him exceedingly? I would hope so. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So God himself is great. He is greatly to be praised. And third and finally, verse 3 tells us that God's greatness is, look there, unsearchable. The psalmist at the end of verse 3 is telling us the degree to which God is great. And it says, unsearchable, which if you look it up in the Hebrew means unsearchable. That's amazing. It means inscrutable, beyond the limits of finding out, beyond the limits of investigation. It is like the universe where you could just, you know, get in your starship and go warp 10 forever and never reach the end. That's what God's greatness is like. It's an unsearchable greatness. A greatness to the infinite degree. The psalmist is not telling us here, though, that because God's greatness is so great, it's unsearchable that we shouldn't even try to understand God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is you should seek out God. You should seek to know him. But just know this, that after you've gone all the way, after you've worn out your little pea brain trying to understand him, you will never, ever plumb the depths of the infinitude of his greatness. You can spend all eternity, and you will spend all eternity if you know Jesus Christ, living in God's presence, learning about his greatness, but it will never run to an end. You will never use it up. You will never say, okay, I've got it now. He is too great. His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 3 tells us that God himself is great and that his greatness is essential to him. And could God be God without being great? Could God be God if he was lesser, small, insignificant than something else? Listen to what other scriptures say. You can turn with me if you want to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Ezra writes this in verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is is the greatness and power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. First Chronicles 29 gives us this incredible, 29-11 gives us this incredible view of God. He is over all things. That's how great he is. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 1, a couple books over, past 2 Chronicles. Ezra, Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verse 5, Nehemiah says this. I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves his covenant and loving kindness, for those who love him and keep his commandments. Here we see the greatness of God. The awesomeness of God coupled with his covenant that he preserves to extend loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commandments. Just think about it. Not only is God great, but he is great in extending loving kindness to you. We're going to look at this more in a little bit. Turn to Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11 verses 7 through 9. 
In Job 11, Zophar is speaking and he gets it right in verses 7 and following when he says, Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up, or who calls the assembly, who can restrain him? For he knows false men and he sees iniquity without investigating. An idiot will become intelligent when the fool of a wild donkey is born a man. He's just saying, oh yeah, you think you're so smart. I'm telling you, you can't even come close to figuring out God. He is so great. Turn to Psalm 147, right past our text. Psalm 147. Verse 5, the text says, Great is our Lord, and abundant in strength, His understanding is infinite. Look over at Psalm 150, verse 2. I like this one. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. That to me sounds like an attribute. Look at Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 6. Another great text. Jeremiah 10 verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and great is your name in might. Yes, the scriptures tell us that God himself is great. Novation, one of the early church fathers, who wrote a significant work on the Trinity, I think he lived around 250 A.D., speaking of the greatness of God, said this, quote, We pass beyond our power of fit conception, nor can human eloquence put forth a power commensurate with his greatness. At the contemplation and utterance of his majesty, all eloquence is rightly dumb and all mental effort is feeble. For God is greater than mind itself. His greatness cannot be conceived. Nay, could we conceive of his greatness, he would be less than the human mind which could form the conception. He is greater than all language and no statement can express him. Indeed, if any statement could express him, he would be less than human speech, which could, by such statement, comprehend and gather up all that he is. All our thoughts about him will be less than he, and all our lofty utterances will be trivialities in comparison with him. End quote. You can't even utter the greatness of God. If we all just sat around here and just for hours and hours tried to think just incredible lofty thoughts of God, just tried to think of how great he could be and what it would be like to think about things that we've never thought of before. If we all accumulated all of that, it would be nothing compared to the greatness of God. His greatness is infinite. It's exceedingly great. This should remind us never to put God into a mental box. He won't fit. Never think that God is like you. He is nothing like you. Don't judge him because he doesn't 
do things like you think he should do things. Because I want you to know, his ways are not your ways, and as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and thoughts above your ways and thoughts. You can't even get there. God's greatness is unsearchable and you exist to serve him and praise him in accordance with his exceeding greatness. Now, the second thing we learn from this text is God's works are great. This is good. Second thing we learn here is in verse 6. Look there, Psalm 145, verse 6. The text says, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. Here God's greatness is related to his awesome acts. Not only is God great because of who he is, he's great because of what he does. Now the word power, as the New American Standard Bible translates, it might also be translated strength or might. It describes acts done by the exertion of force. And who can you think of who has ever done acts as great as God? Who has ever exerted such force as God to speak the entire universe into existence? To part the Red Sea? To crack open the earth and swallow up people because of their rebellion? To send out one angel and slay 185,000 people in one night to destroy the whole earth with a flood. People, that is greatness. That is greatness. The word awesome here, when it says in verse 6, And men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, describes that which instills fear, dread, reverence, which creates profound respect for someone or something. You know, we say, oh man, cool man, that, that thing's awesome. man. Look at that car, man, that's awesome. And we call things awesome that aren't even close to being awesome. They don't instill dread and fear. We've totally taken that word and just twisted its meaning and redefined it. It doesn't even mean what it should mean. The King James Version translates it terrible. Because what he's talking about here is acts of God that are so significant that they actually cause you to fear and tremble in reverence and respect. When I was a commercial fisherman in Hawaii, we would go out to sea for two, three months at a time in between Hawaii and Alaska. And every once in a while, these huge storms would come. And when these storms would come, the wind would blow. And these swells would just get huge. Sometimes, you know, 60-foot swell. And when, what a lot of people don't realize is when you have a 60-foot swell, that is the average of the swell because they come in sine waves. So from the bottom of the swell to the top, it's 120 feet. You try and take a picture. I tried to take a picture a couple of times of some swells, but they just look like mountains of water going out at a 45-degree angle off the picture. And at one moment, you're down in this hole, and there's 120 feet of water all around you, it looks like it's just going to crash down on you. And then the next moment, you're on top of this 120-foot peak of water. On top of that, because the wind is just howling, there's huge waves coming off. And I'm telling you, you fear. <laughs> the captain would say, listen, you fall overboard, you're dead. 
You fall overboard, you're dead. You make sure you're holding on to something all the time. You look all the time upwind to make sure a wave isn't coming over. We had waves just come over, just hit the boat, and just totally swamp it all the way to the rails, and the whole boat was just squatting in the water and just shooting out the scuppers. <laughs> you fear. You fear. And you should fear. Because those waves are awesome. When I was growing up, I lived in the mountains and one of the things we did is we heated our house with wood. And so in the summertime when I was out fishing and doing my thing, I would drive around and hike around and I'd look for snags. Those are old dead trees. And one day I was going up this little logging road and I looked up and I saw between the very heights of these trees, this, the top of the snag. And I didn't realize how big it was, but I went down, I got the truck, I got the trailer, I got the chainsaw and I went up there and I hiked up there and I get there and there's this ponderosa pine that's almost six feet in diameter. I don't know how tall it was. It was big. And there I was with my 20 inch chainsaw. So I went back down. I got my friend who had a 36-inch chainsaw. And I came up to that tree, and it was awesome. And I started cutting into it, and it was awesome. All those tons and tons of lumber towering straight up above you. You reverence that tree. You know what that tree could do if it fell on you. It would knock you into China. And it took me about just, I don't know, almost an hour just to cut the wedge out of the front of this because it was on the steep hill. And then you cut, start cutting the backside, doing the back cut, and you drive some wedges in there. And man, when that thing starts to go, it's awesome. Your heart races and you hear it going pop, pop. As all of a sudden it starts separating and the, the core of the tree starts snapping. And it shakes the whole ground. You pull out the saw and you look, you look up. You never run until you look up. You've got to see which way it's falling. And you want it to fall away, but sometimes it doesn't fall that way. And all of a sudden you see it's falling in the right way and you don't run up straight up because a lot of times it kicks back as so you run off to the side and you run out. And I'm telling you, when it comes down, there's trees that are 15, 20, 30 inch in diameter and it just takes them out and just crashes to the earth and it makes the earth tremble and the noise is incredible. And you stand there with your heart pounding because it's awesome. Well, I want you to know, God is greater than any storm and he is greater than any tree. And when we come before him, we need to tremble. We need to fear him. This isn't a time where we come together to laugh and necessarily have fun and entertain each other and treat God with irreverence. This is a time when we come together to fear God and worship him because he is the great king. Look at verse 6 again. It says, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts. That's you. You see, the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God should cause us to constantly speak about him. Do you do that? Imagine what it must have been like to see the plagues of Egypt. Imagine what it would be like to stand there on the banks of the Nile, looking as far as you can see upriver and down as far as you can see downriver with a river that's a half mile across and see it just flowing with blood. People, that is awesome. 
Think of what it must have been like to have all the land of Egypt. It's a big place covered with frogs or gnats or to have hail come down to destroy all the crops. Think of that. Imagine what it must have been like to be an Israelite in in your little humble abode. To hear all those mothers and all those fathers and all of those uh, nephews and nieces and uncles and aunts wailing at the death of the firstborn because they did not have the blood of the lamb to protect them. Think of how great and awesome that would be. You would never forget it. Think about what it would be like to leave Egypt. And to be cornered at the Red Sea and to have just a pillar of fire. I I, I don't know how big it is, but I'd like to know. Come down out of heaven to have it be so big that is able to stop Pharaoh's army. Imagine standing there by the Red Sea. It's a big place. And to see the waters just blown out and the land dried up. That is awesome. God's deeds are awesome. Imagine what it must have been like for the Israelites. Imagine just being there. You're camped there with a couple million people by Mount Sinai. And God says to Moses, go tell the people to get themselves cleaned up. Because I am coming down to meet them. And imagine, you've, you've, you've seen some things happen. You've seen these miracles and you're wondering, I wonder what God looks like. He's going to come down and talk to us. I wonder if he, you know, if he looks like a man. I, I wonder what he's like. And then what you see is you see a great cloud cover this mountain. You see constant lightning coming down. And you know how lightning is. Yesterday I was out there. I had a great time yesterday. I was here till about 1.30. And on Friday I happened to get a, a load of of sand and gravel in my truck to do some concrete work. And so it was raining. And I had to go down and preach at a missions conference. And so I just went out there with my shovel and started unshoveling the truck in the midst of the deluge. And the lightning started came. Did you hear that, man? It was great. I thought, oh, man, I missed the lightning and thunder. And it was just booming. Oh, it's great. I love that because it just shows so much power. Imagine standing on Mount Sinai and having that happen nonstop and having fire come down, to have the earth tremble, to have this moaning sound like the sound of, the text says, like a very great trumpet, just moaning and moaning. And out of all of that, the voice of God himself coming and speaking to you the Ten Commandments. Would you be flippant? Would you be just nonchalant? Oh, cool. No, I'd tell you how you respond. It tells us in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 20. All the people perceived the thunder and lightning and flashes and sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. Now listen to this. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. 
Do you see the application here of greatness? When we finally see the greatness of God, when we understand His magnitude, it should cause us to fear Him. The people said they stepped back from the mountain. It was so terrible, it was so awesome in grandeur that they stepped back and then they cried out to Moses, Please, don't let God speak to us anymore. You speak to us and we'll listen to you and you let him speak to you so you can be afraid. You know what's interesting? That happened at the very beginning of the Exodus. They left there. They wandered around the the desert for 40 years. Joshua led them into the land. Joshua helped them conquer all the land. And at the end of Joshua's life, after years and years, you know, 80 years later, Joshua has not forgotten. And in Joshua chapter 24, 17, this is what he says. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. Joshua still remembered the great works of God, and he was one of the few godly people at that time. God's incredible and awesome acts should cause us to speak of them. That's what the text says. Men shall declare your mighty and awesome acts. Job 5.9, Job says, Who does great and searchable things wonders without number? Jeremiah spoke of the mighty acts of God, his great deeds. In Jeremiah 32, 17, when he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Paul spoke of them in Romans eleven thirty three when he says, Oh, the depth and the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. He says, How unsearchable are your judgments and what? Unfathomable. Your ways. The Apostle John, recording what's going on in heaven, says, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O God. The Almighty, righteous and true are all your ways, King of the nations. We see all the way through scriptures the saints praising God because of his great works. And I ask you, are you doing that? Are you doing that? A while back in the Calvary Review, I don't know if you remember, I talked about memorials, how all the way through the Old Testament, God is trying to say, hey, do this as a memorial. Do this as a memorial. You know, the the rainbow is a memorial. Uh, The stack of stones after they crossed the Jordan River is a memorial. You know, write this as a memorial. Set this up as a memorial. Why? Because God wants us to remember his mighty acts and praise him for it. Because he is a God who does great wonders. One of the things we did in seminary to survive because we were just living on the cutting edge all the time of poverty and despair is we kept a list of the mighty deeds of God and we would keep this list and every time God would answer a prayer, every time God would do anything incredible, we would write it down and write it down and write it down. Then when we would get into a situation where we realized, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, I don't know where we're going to get the money, I don't know what tuition is going to come from or whatever, we would take out that list and we would read it and you know what it would do? It would make us praise Him and worship Him and that is the very reason why 
we need to remember God's greatness. Don't just let God's great works on your behalf go unrecorded, unnoticed, and never told again. Third, not only is God great in and of himself, and not only are God's works great, but God's attributes are great. Look at Psalm 145, verse 8. Here we read, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Loving kindness is a very loaded term. You might have a version that says mercy there, maybe grace. The word speaks of kindness, favor, grace, mercy, goodness, steadfast love, compassion. It's especially used in relationship to the people of God who have repented and know God. It describes God's, all of God's goodness, whether you wrap that up into grace or mercy or kindness or whatever you can think of, all of that part of God which is good towards undeserving sinners, it describes that given to you and me if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And the text says He is great in loving kindness towards you. And notice where loving kindness comes at verse 8. First, he says, the Lord is gracious. And remember, grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And merciful. Mercy is receiving, not receiving what you do deserve, which is hell, which is judgment, which is justice from God. And slow to anger tells us how God extends His grace and mercy. And all three of those terms, His graciousness and His mercy and His slowness to anger, are all caught up in this phrase, loving kindness. And it's not just loving kindness. It's great loving kindness. Great according to the infinitude of God, and it is given to unworthy sinners. That is incredible. That is an excellent quality of God that affects you personally. This single attribute of God explains why we are all not instantly consumed by the fury of God's holy wrath. Doesn't the Bible said that God will by no means allow the guilty to go unpunished? That he must punish sin? Well, of course it does. He couldn't be just if he didn't punish sin. And do you know that God would be just to execute every single person right now, all the sinners... He would be just. No one deserves to be saved. No one even deserves a chance to be saved. It's by grace, undeserved favor. Mercy, undeserved favor. God has his bow bent and his sword drawn and pointed at the heart of every unbeliever all the time. And you know what holds back his sword and his bow? His grace and his mercy. Actually, it's his mercy that holds it back. And grace then comes along and gives us the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can repent and believe before God's mercy runs out. And though God's grace and mercy are of infinite degree, God is never obliged because they are undeserved to give them to us in an infinite degree. And though God is long-suffering with unrepentant, rebellious sinners, He is not ever suffering, and His mercy comes to an end. And that is why it is so important to share your faith. And it is so important, if you don't know God, to get right with Him. To realize you are a sinner. That you are under His wrath. That His just execution of you is deserving and is imminent. 
you know, a lot of times we talk about the Lord's Prayer and we say things, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we think, oh, isn't that nice? Listen, when God's kingdom comes, every unbeliever will be executed. So now is the day of salvation. When we pray that, we're asking God to execute those who are rebelling against him, just like we used to rebel against him. This should make us fear God because he is great. Spurgeon put it simply, when people at last repent, they find pardon waiting Great is their sin and great is God's mercy. They need great help and they have it, though they do not deserve it. He is greatly good to the greatly needy. Isn't that great? People, God is not only great in and of himself. He is not only great in what he does. He is also great in all of his attributes. And we have looked at just one. We will look at others. Nehemiah 1.10 says this. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Here God's power is described as great. Psalm 31.19 says, Great is your goodness which you have stored up. I like this. He has great goodness which he has stored up for those who fear you. Which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. God has such great goodness and he has stored it up for you. Psalm 69.16 says, Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me. Here God's compassion is great. And again, it is extended towards us. Psalm 108.4 says, For your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. God's great loving kindness is said to be in the heavens, as high as the heavens, as boundless as the expanse of heavens, and it's for you. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, For the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. That is so great. Every day, like the sun coming up, every morning God's great faithfulness is extended to great sinners like us. So you have learned that God is great in and of himself. You have learned that God's works are great. You have learned that God's attributes are great. Now, how are you going to live in light of this? If you leave here today unchanged, unmoved, no different than before you came, I could say that you were most likely a spiritually dead corpse. And you need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to ask God to forgive you and beg Him for pardon. You need to be born again for God's wrath abides on you. And it is only His mercy which you don't deserve which is holding it back. The rest of us who leave here today would do well to listen to the words of John Phillips in his exposition of the Psalms. Phillips writes, 
Quote, he is a God so unsearchable that no human mind can comprehend him. He is so vast we cannot touch the fringes of his garment. He is a God who has revealed himself in three persons as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one and one in three. He is a God who is without beginning or ending of days, eternal, uncreated, self-existing. We go back before the dawn of time, before the first star glimmered in the sky, before the rustle of an angel's wing disturbed the silence of eternity back into the dateless, timeless past, into the void of nothingness and lo, God was there and had been there, glorious, sublime, needing nothing. Surely with David, we must fall down and worship at his feet. God is a great God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you just humbled by your presence. We know that you are so much greater than we can even imagine. It scares us. And it's amazing that even though you are great, And you are so awesome and your works are so awesome and your attributes are so awesome yet you have come down and condescended to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You have become a man and lived in a sin-cursed world. You have lived a perfect life and willingly offered yourself up as a sacrifice for the sins of undeserving men and women and children. And Father, we don't know why. But you have chosen to save some. And Father, we thank you for that and we thank you for being among that number. Father, for those here who don't know you, who are presuming right now upon your grace, who are presuming upon your mercy, which is the only thing keeping them from being destroyed by the fury of your wrath, I pray they would repent right now in their heart. They would acknowledge their sins and, Father, they would make a commitment to turn from their sins, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, to trust only in his work on the cross to save them and to follow after him all the rest of their days. For the rest of us, as we leave here today, may we be changed. May our whole week, our whole month, our whole year, and our whole life be lived in light of who you are, for you are a great God, exceedingly great. Your deeds are awesome. Your attributes are beyond all we can understand. And Father, we want to worship you with our whole life and everything we do and our jobs, our families, our voices, our minds. And Father, may we fear you enough to obey you in all things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.